0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, How We Work. I am your host, Dr. Misha Ann Martin, and I am here live at WorkHuman Live with a very, very special guest today. Today, I am joined by the employee experience scientist at Qualtrics and founder of Lifted Leadership, LLC. Please welcome Kevin Campbell. Thank you for coming.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So I'm super excited today because I get nerd lonely a lot. (laughs) I'm an industrial organizational psychologist and you are too. And I'm so excited about that. We both focus on people analytics and we had a lot of initial conversation before the show that really allowed us to realize that we approach or work in some ways, in very common ways. So, I want to talk about some of that. So, we were talking about our research at Work Human with Black Men in Tech and how we took a quantitative and qualitative approach. We started with interviews and then went on to a survey, and we're presenting the results of that research here at Work Human Live. So, how do you blend data with the people storytelling element? In your work, like, how do you approach that?
1: I think a lot of it has to do with even subtle shifts in the way that we talk about data Mm -hmm. and especially people data, because rather than using data speak, we can start to talk about the people that are at the center of the story. That's right. So I don't know the specific data points for the study because I haven't seen your talk yet. Oh, but you will, sir. (laughs) So let's just say, for instance, you have a metric around psychological safety, and it's appallingly low for Black men in tech. Let's say it's 50%. The way that I often see that presented is psychological safety, 50% Black men. Mm -hmm. There's no story there. The center is the 50%. That's That's what we're centering that data point on. But with a subtle shift to say only half of the black men in tech feel like they're able to speak up at work, now you're putting the the person and the story and the people behind that data point at the center of the conversation. And it it changes it from something that's very left-brained. To really being whole brained in that you have the data point, but then you're also able to think about, wow, half of of these brilliant minds showing up to work and not really being able to push back or provide their perspective or make things better.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. So what I hear you saying is instead of centering the number, center the person the number is about in the experience of that person. See, we're not even five minutes in and you're dropping these <laughs> truth bombs and great advice. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a really important point. So I wanna talk now about how work has changed. We all know that right now work has been evolving fast since the pandemic and listeners, he's nodding. So we're, we're in agreement. How has people analytics help work evolve and what is our role in helping to further involve and improve the future of work?
1: I think the future of work is dynamic. And a lot of it is driven by sociological changes and demographic changes that a lot of people are only beginning to realize. Johnny Taylor, the, the CEO of Sherm, uh, I love him. Yeah, he's love amazing. Him. Yeah, he, he spoke at X4, the, the Qualtrics conference. And he was talking about, just the shape of the age distribution globally, but especially in the United States, we have fewer people entering the workforce than we do leaving the workforce. So the future of work is one of a perpetual talent shortage for the next several decades. So people analytics has gone from being something that was important from the perspective of how do we better engage employees? How do we Make sure that we're not creating too much of a cost to the organization through excessive turnover. But now it's moved into a business imperative because if you don't have enough people to literally do the work to meet the the demands of your customers, you are not going to be able to survive. Especially when we look at macroeconomic conditions related to inflation, whether that be inflation in terms of the, the price of goods and services or whether that be wage inflation. If you are competing, purely on wages or price, that's a vicious cycle because you can always pay more and you can always charge less. And that's a race to the top or a race to the bottom, depending on what perspective you're looking at. But at some point, the difference maker is going to be experiences. And I believe that only people analytics can truly tap into those subjective experiences, marry that with the objective metrics and and arrive at a more whole truth of what's really happening.
0: Yeah, I think that is such an important point, particularly when you're thinking about groups of people that are marginalized in the workplace. So, you know, when you and I were talking, I said the mean hides a multitude of sins. Right? Yes, yeah. And so, people analytics is so important in terms of bringing to light the things that different people. Are experiencing in the workplace that the organization may otherwise be blind to. And we did some research with Gallup on this, looking at the impact of being recognized well at work. And unsurprisingly, what we found was that when you are recognized well at work, you're more likely to be thriving in, over, thriving in life overall. Now, unfortunately, we also see that Black and Hispanic employees are less likely to report being appreciated well. But also that that has a disproportionate impact on the rest of their lives. And so I think this work that we're doing is so important because it goes beyond how you experience work. It's about how you think about yourself, your self-esteem, your self-worth, how you provide for your family and beyond your mental health. And so, you know, people analytics sounds really, really boring, but I do believe that we're using data to change. Not only work, but change the world.
1: Absolutely. You know, I was 10 years old when I found out that something had happened to my mom. Uh, I wasn't really sure what the adults in the room were talking about, but it soon became apparent that she had had, at the time, what they called a nervous breakdown at work. She crawled out on her hands and knees, covered in, in tears and sweat, because she was just mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausted from what she was going through. She was a a single mom and working 12 hours a day to, to make ends meet. And it just got to be too much for her. And as a result of that, it led to a series of things that led to us ultimately losing our home and a number of different things. But it was at that moment that I realized that I wanted to do something to improve people's lives at work. And that's a big part of why I do what I do now. And I've never forgotten that But one thing that I do know is that we also have to connect that back to business performance. We also have to think about how can we make this a sustainable journey and connect the analytics so that we're not just making the case to do the right thing, which is ultimately should be enough in and of itself and on its own, and be able to make the business case to say, why should we do this? How can we make this something that's sustainable for the business, for the organization? Because I I believe it really does impact more than just work. It impacts communities, families, and, and societies as a whole.
0: So speaking of the power of storytelling, thank you for telling your story. you oh, know, of course. Yeah, yeah. That, that vulnerability is not lost on me and is very appreciated. And would you believe that I have a similar story in my own family, which, which contributed to my desire to do this work. So we are very alike. It's kind (laughs) of strange. Okay. So let's talk about the bane of our existence as people analytics professionals. We have all these tools in our toolkit. We provide analyses that illuminate how different people are experiencing work. We're providing evidence-based solutions. We're hypothesis testing. We're doing all these things. And then we come to the table with our heart and soul and blood, sweat and tears. And we're like, this is the recommendation. And then what happens, Kevin? Nothing. Exactly. So <laughs> how do we get past that? How, how do we present our results in a way that's more actionable and get the people we're presenting to to actually take the next step and implement our recommendations?
1: Yeah, so I like to use a framework called ABC one two three. I hope I don't, you know, violate any copyright infringements for the Jackson Five, but <laughs> uh, I think about it in terms of action oriented, business relevant, and conversation based. Okay, so a lot of it begins with the end in mind. Around the whole point of collecting and analyzing and, and gathering insights from this data is to have an action at the end of it to inform a decision to do something. So that really begins with the way that you collect the data. Uh, what's the hypothesis behind why you think something might be happening? And if that hypothesis is either confirmed or that myth is busted, what decision are you going to make as a result of that? So a lot of that goes into the, the questions that you ask. Are you even asking action-oriented questions? Or are you asking questions that are more about a psychological state? Not to say that those psychological state questions aren't great questions, but they tend to be more outcomes than drivers. Where's the, the real action in terms of the behavior that you want to change? I think it's also important for it to, to be b business driven. So having some connection back to an operational or business metric that's important. Because otherwise, all of this people analytics stuff becomes extra work on top of the quote unquote real work. Right. But if you can show a frontline manager, this will make your job easier not harder. This will make it so that you don't have to scramble to fill a position at the last minute because somebody quit. This will make it so that you have better numbers and metrics for which your performance is going to be based that have nothing to do with the people metrics, but it's a correlation. And then last is the conversation piece. And I think even I've been guilty of this, of going into a corner using our dashboards and powerful analytical tools to come back and make a recommendation. Mm -hmm. But that's never going to be as powerful as orchestrating a conversation around the data and taking almost more of a coach rather than a consultant mindset to say, what does this mean for you? Of all the things that could be done, what do you want to do? What do you have? Where is the, the business connection for you? And I think this is true for leaders and managers as well. Rather than Going into the corner and coming up with a blueprint action plan, have a conversation with your employees around what do we want to do as a result of this? How do we take action on this rather than just delegating it to one person?
0: So we take a similar approach at WorkHuman when we are working with our clients on recognition data. We do these analyses and then we present to them kind of like showing them, here's how recognition can actually help you accomplish your safety goals. Here's how recognition can improve customer service. If you want your engineers to provide better service, positively reinforce the behaviors that make that happen. And oh, look at this study that shows that it is so. So yeah, we, um, we use that approach as well. And we, we find that it really does make a difference because it changes the way people think about what you're presenting. So I noticed that you very cleverly slipped some methodology into our conversation, right? So you talked about hypothesis testing, you talked about which questions you should ask on a survey and the balance between state oriented and action oriented. So let's talk about that specifically for our audience. Can we talk about the difference between methodology and statistics? Mm. And when should we use Which of those? Like, how do we put them together in real life? Well, I think I was really blessed to go to a graduate program
1: that really split out methodology from statistics. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of programs, especially undergraduate programs, will have one course, methodology and statistics. And especially coming from an IO psych background, not a data science background, those two things are, are different. Related, but, but very different. As an example, um, and you know, some people might, might scoff at this, if you think about statistics, the, the real application of statistics for a social scientist is just to know whether or not the differences you see in the numbers are due to chance or not. That's right. That's the sole purpose of the statistics. <laughs> right, right. Or seeing the relationship,
0: like, is there really a relationship? Yeah, is, yeah. is this real? Or yep. is, this
1: just, is this just a serious correlation? A fluke, yeah. yeah, is it a mm-hmm. fluke? And everything else is really a question of methods. It's really a question of saying, okay, well, what are we really trying to get at? What are we really, really trying to understand? And a lot of times we fail to ask that question in people analytics, in research in general. Like, what what are we really trying to get at here? And what's the appropriate method for being able to answer that question? Because you might have a more straightforward statistical test that could test that hypothesis that's easier for your rank-and-file leadership to understand versus this multiple regression with all these beta weights. Now, not to say that those things aren't necessary or, or helpful, but... It's more for us as as people analytics professionals to do our due diligence on the back end to make sure that what we're saying is is true. But in terms of what we present back to our, our customers and to our stakeholders, we really want to make that as as streamlined and as straightforward as possible.
0: Yeah, I think it's, you know, really interesting. We bonded over our love of our mutual love of program evaluation. And essentially, I find it interesting that. Organizations talk so much about innovation, but not a lot about experimentation in organizations or coming up with a hypothesis. I mean, we do this in user experience testing, like A-B testing, but we don't really do that for the employee experience. I see a lot of times people who are trying to come up with metrics for an HR department, and they start with the question, well, what do we have available mm-hmm. instead of what questions do we need to answer? And it's a fatal flaw because then you throw all this information at people. They don't know what to look at and they don't know where to focus. And so it is a really important point that you really have to start with the question that you're trying to answer.
1: Yeah, just to, to dovetail on that for a second, that's, that's a great point. And it goes back to one of the first things I learned about program evaluation. And as you know, most of that comes from government programs or social programs. And it was really delineating the difference between outputs and outcomes. Right. Are you is is the are you measuring the number of bags of rice that you're delivering to the village, or are you measuring the degree to which people are going to sleep, whether or not children are going to sleep hungry or well fed? Right. One is an output. One is easy to count. It's easy to count bags of rice. Yes, but the outcome isn't bags of rice. The outcome is healthy families. The outcome is a healthy community. That's right. The outcome is not, hey, we delivered these bags of rice. They got confiscated by a, war- a warlord, and now there's there's problems that we didn't even intend as a result of this program. But hey, we delivered a lot of bags of right. rice, right? And I think with HR programs, learning programs, especially, we we measure things like. How many people attended? I was
0: just about to say that. It's <laughs> like, let's take some people off and go there. Yeah. Let's do it. Please continue. <laughs>
1: yeah. So they, they attended, but did they, did they learn anything from it? Did, did it impact their engagement scores? Did it impact their business outcomes? Or did it take away time from things that would have been a better use of their time? And if we're not measuring these outcome components, we'll never be able to answer those questions.
0: And you know what I find too? I find that in HR, one of the reasons why we measure what we can, it reminds me of something Rashma Sojani talks about, right? The want to be perfect. Mm. So we would rather measure something unimportant, but, but feel like we're doing that perfectly, right? Like butts and seats. We can count how many people attended. Like we can do that very well rather than expand to the space of what we really need to measure, even if we can't measure that perfectly. And so we really need to, I tell people, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with an Excel spreadsheet to start with. If you're tracking something important, I would rather you have an Excel spreadsheet than a blank piece of paper. And in general, actually where people analytics are concerned, I do think we need to get braver, you know? So we're looking at things like diversity and we're measuring representation, but we're far less likely to be collecting passive data and looking at things like what are the biases that are coming out in performance evaluations that may be holding people back? What is our process for determining If somebody is a high potential and is that objective. And, you know, we really need to challenge ourselves to get out there into a space where we're not going to be perfect, Mm -hmm. but into a space where we're definitely better than we are today. Cause this ain't it folks like this is not, this can't be it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of it goes back to this idea of evaluation anxiety and and showing ourselves a little bit of self-compassion and grace. Yes. Right. And saying, hey, are these numbers, are we, are we viewing these numbers, these findings, these results, like your final report card? Yeah. Are you looking at it as a as an exam score? Yeah. Or are we looking at it like the speedometer on a car? Okay. It's it's information that allows us to adjust our behavior to get where we want to go more effectively. Are we thinking about it like a final determination of your worth
0: mm-hmm.
1: or your blood panel that you get from your doctor. And you're able to say, okay, so this is what my cholesterol is. This is what my triglycerides are. But how can I make improvements in this? Not, not how can I avoid the evaluation so I don't know how good or bad things are. And I think a lot of it comes back to that, that mindset around, are we using this as information to grow and learn and get better? Or is this more of an evaluative exercise where we're making a a total assessment or judgment of merit or worth?
0: You know, I think this is a super important point. And I want to sit here for a minute because many times throughout my career, I have helped leaders come up with a plan to measure the effectiveness of a department or an initiative or a strategy. And I came up with a whole approach for doing that because I did that so much called the Nirvana approach. But one piece of that is when you come up with the metrics that are relevant to the question that you're trying to answer is to divide those things into process metrics, things that will actually change that outcome that you're evaluating. Because I do think that we need to hold ourselves accountable with those outcome evaluations. But then also you need to track the things in the moment that are going to make the outcome better. So for recruiting, that's like the difference between aging, like, okay, let's look in the moment how long that requisition has been opened so we have an awareness that we need to put some fire on it Mm -hmm. so that when we measure time to fill, our attention has already been on making time to fill better and filling it quicker so that that report card type of measurement is better. So I always advise leaders to think about those two a little bit differently. And please do not (laughs) report out on the outcome metrics with too much frequency, because if you're reporting out on something that's an outcome, you might only need to look at that quarterly or annually. If it never changes, people stop paying attention and you find yourself in this scenario that I see all the time that you're generating reports and metrics that people never look at because they're not relevant at the frequency that you're reporting them on. The process metrics, however, are the things that you need to look at all the time.
1: This is such a relevant conversation. I, I, I want to dig into this just a little bit more <laughs> <Let's> because <go. laughs> I, I, I really do geek out on this part. And I like to think about it in terms of actions, drivers versus outcomes and KPIs. Yes. And I think a great analogy for that that I can't take credit for, Marcus Wolf, a colleague of mine at Qualtrics, came up with it. Mm -hmm. But think about those outcome metrics as health outcome metrics, Mm -hmm. like BMI or your HDL or your ADL or your triglycerides. There's nothing you can do, unfortunately, to just will oneself into (laughs) having better numbers in those areas. If only.
0: I just got word that my <laughs> cholesterol is high and I'm so annoyed about it. So you just kind of, you know, touch a sore spot, but please continue. <laughs> so,
1: so the analogy on the driver's side would be things like meditation,
0: mm-hmm.
1: having a spiritual life, uh, a, a diet, yeah. uh, certain kinds of exercise, maybe strength training, cardio. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, one of the things that we can't do with our health data, but we can do with people data, is to make a recommendation of all these specific actions which one is actually going to yield you the best yeah. outcome for the action given, right? If I knew that, you know, whether or not I'd, I'd be better off spending more time meditating versus exercising, that would help me plan how I go about improving my health. We can look at a, at, a, at a population level, mm-hmm. but we're, we're not at the point yet that I'm aware of where we could do that for an individual. Yeah. However, when it comes to organizations, I could tell you organization by organization, if you want to move this outcome Here are the five to 10 things that are most likely to move that outcome. Yes. Yes.
0: Driver analysis is so important. So just to take it down to the level of an engagement survey, what are the things that changes engagement the most? And it's usually things like career development, recognition, your individual leader. So it's the things that are the most impactful for the outcome that you're trying to drive. I will say, though, I know we're not at the point where we can do that for an individual, but because I'm such a dork, I will take my blood pressure before and after yoga.
1: Okay. That's (laughs) smart. That's really smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. There's a 20-point drop, by the way. 20-point difference in typically the top number. So
1: Smart smart watches are um, an amazing thing. Smart watches,
0: yes, yes. I track all the things now. Okay, so now let's talk about how we present all this data that we've talked about so like the end experience of data any tips for our audience about how you should present it in order to make it more palatable understandable actionable
1: yeah so we had touched on the abc 123 so i think this is where the 123 really makes the most sense is begin with that end in mind and lead with the understanding that you're going to pick one thing, just one thing. And I think this is where the conversation around the presentation is often more important than the presentation itself. Meaning you can have a hundred insights in a 45-minute executive presentation, but none of that really means anything. Unless a decision is made, a policy is changed, or an action is taken. Insight without action is like tasting without swallowing. It's just not the full experience. Okay. So it's our job as facilitators, educators, consultants, coaches, to take more time than you think is necessary to step away from the presentation and have a meta-conversation around of all the things that we talked about, what's the one thing that if you act on it, will yield the most results? And it may not necessarily be the number one thing in your driver analysis. Maybe it's number three, maybe it's number five. Mm -hmm. But it's that thing where there's a willingness to act on it, where you see a connection back to your business. And it's something that you could really see yourself selling internally and moving the needle on. So I think really fighting the urge to do all of the things and dilute your effort is a big part of it. So, so choose one thing. Do two things about it. Communicate it three
0: times. Three times. <laughs> <laughs> I know this one. This one I know.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I think that really is the, the, you know, when it comes to presenting the data, it, it is not just the visualization, although mm-hmm. those, those things are incredibly important. It's also the narrative around the visualization and the, the end presentation.
0: That is fantastic advice. Thank you. So my last question to you before we wrap is going to be about a conversation that I think I know leaders are having a lot, which is how are people working remote versus hybrid versus fully on site? What do you see as our role as people analytics professionals in that conversation and guiding leaders and businesses in this kind of evolution of work?
1: Yeah. So I think there are a lot of tough decisions that organizations are making around that. And I think what the quote unquote right decision is, is going to depend on a variety of factors. What kind of work are people doing? If someone's on the phone or in conferences for eight hours a day with people in different parts of the world in different countries, Does it really make sense for them to be co-located with people that they're not going to be interacting with? Because then they're just going to be at their cubicle or in their office or at their desk doing the same thing that they might as well be doing from home. Is there a collaborative element to this work? Do you have data to support whether on-site versus hybrid versus fully remote have differences in terms of outcomes? And there's a lot that goes on there where we're going to be incredibly involved. But that's going to be so idiosyncratic to each organization that it's hard for me to make a blanket recommendation around what to be done. But those are the things that you (laughs) want to take into consideration. But I do think the blanket recommendation is around organizational justice. Ooh. Right, is around the procedure, the thoughtfulness that you apply to that decision. People care about the outcome. They care about whether or not they have to go on site now, whether or whether they're allowed to work hybrid or, or stay remotely. But they care even more about the thought process that went into making that decision, even if they disagree with it. Yeah. If you can come back and say, we may be making the wrong choice, but we looked at these five factors and this is why we came to this conclusion. Yeah. And we are making a bet. We might be wrong, but we, we believe because of these factors that if we do X, Y will happen. And this is why we're making this decision and being transparent in the way that you communicate that being earnest in the way that you evaluate that decision and being blunt in the, in the, the actual move forward plan is going to be important. And then the devils in the details around the, the change management and communications that go along with that. Are you giving people enough time? to adjust accordingly are you rolling things out are you giving them the overall why behind where this is happening and 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 trying to eliminate as much bias in the process of making that decision as possible
0: you just busted out procedural justice (laughs) research (laughs) and i just love it this is the nerdiest conversation i've had in a long time my nerd (laughs) heart and soul are very very happy and thank you so much for joining us on how we work